This is Ham College, Episode 1 for January 31st, 2015. This episode of Ham College is brought to you by ICOM. Got cabin fever? Well, get out or hunker down with ICOM. Hi, and welcome to Ham College, episode number one. I'm Tommy. I'm George. We got it backwards that time, didn't we? Yeah, and we also said episode number one. It is episode one. Yeah, we haven't done an episode number one in about ten years. I think you're right. So We actually, we did do a pilot episode of Ham College at the end of November 2014. Uh, Go check that out if you haven't seen it yet, because... You're going to miss out if you didn't, because that's kind of what's leading into this episode. Yeah, there'll be a little uh, project that'll be kind of a continuation from that one, so you'll want to check that one out for sure. Yeah, we had the idea for a new show that uh, targeted new amateurs, and there wasn't anything out there exactly doing that. And we thought, hey, let's let's give it a shot and see if people are interested. So we released that pilot episode, and the response was overwhelming. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, we were getting requests from all the social media, emails, everything that we continue it on. So here it is. Yep, and uh, it looks like, uh, well, looks like we're going to be doing this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm always game for anything that's going to try to bring new hams into into our hobby, especially younger hams, too. We need some more young guys or and girls and uh, try to carry it on yeah we're going to talk about that a lot tonight you know the purpose of this show is to make new hams of those who've had an interest in the hobby and just never did it also to give new hams something to do some some activities uh to kind of help them get started in the hobby so they don't lose interest early on yeah and uh we'll have some stuff in there for you older guys as well because you know a lot of this stuff is going to be good review it was for Tommy and I in the last episode, and I know it will be this time because I have not looked at all the answers for all the questions this time. Oh, well, it's going to be a surprise for all of us. I think so. Uh, also, we're going to cover Elmarine a little bit more. We're going to talk about what that is, and we're going to tell you how you can help out in that and uh, give you some resources for that as well. well we've got uh, some great help on this. Yep, absolutely. Uh, just happened this week, and uh, we'll be talking about that in a little bit. But right now, looking at our list here, we should throw up a slide here that says we've got a chat room going. It's amateurlogic.tv slash chat. When we're taping the show live, either Ham College or Amateur Logic, we have a chat room running. Tommy and I are, are the only two people in here, so there's there's no one producing back behind the camera there we're doing it ourselves so we don't always watch the chat room as well as we would like uh we will be at the end of the show though we're going to wind up this show every episode by going to the chat room and getting uh, your feedback and questions and uh kind of just having a little round table back and forth here yeah and we'll, and we'll go in the chat room when uh 
when there's a video playing or something like that as we're able. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's talk about what was in the last show, Tommy. For those who missed it, uh, well, one thing we mentioned right off was we wanted to credit uh, Jeff Murray, K1NSS, for this great ham college background behind us here. Yeah, he really outdid himself with that. We've had a lot of good compliments on that as well. We have. And, you know, we're going to have to see if he can come up with something for amateur logic because I'm getting tired of the speaker grill that's normally behind us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we need to change that. Uh, we need to do something at least by the 10th year yeah. um, anniversary. Uh, what else... Uh, did we talk about yeah. last time? Well, Tom? we went over some uh, history type things and some education. It was uh, what is amateur radio. We kind of went into some depth on yeah. that. Because you know, the average guy on the street, what's that antenna on your truck? Well, I'm a, you know, ham radio operator, or I'm in amateur radio, and we we talked about it. Well, my uncle had a CB. Yeah, and, that, and then you got to go into telling the difference between amateur yeah. radio and CB. And by the time they wake up, you know. You kind of lost them, so uh, we're going to explain that better. But we really went into it last episode, uh, a lot of inf- interesting information there. We also talked about where the term ham came from. Right. And we're not going to tell you again. You'll have to go back and watch the pilot if you missed it, because it is an interesting yeah, story. It, yeah, it, uh, it kind of caught me off, off guard. Yeah, what else did we uh, talk about after that? I went into a little bit more history on Samuel Morse and Morse code. Yeah, and Tommy's our official history teacher. I'm the historian. The historian, okay. (laughs) And he's got a little more history for us coming up in the show tonight. At least I'm not history. Yeah, we also built a... True. (laughs) We also built a a Morse code key and a sounder to kind of show you uh, how telegraph worked and a little project you could do at home. We're going to do something like that tonight. We're going to take it to the next logical step. Yeah, we're going to tell them what we're going to do? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. I was going to spill them. the beans. Uh-huh. We're going to keep them in suspenders. <laughs> uh, we also showed you a couple of pictures of some early ham radio sets. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And uh, we went into uh, what is the FCC? Yeah. And we talked about what is the ARRL. And actually, um, we got something a little bit wrong there when we talked about the ARRL. Uh, our uh, lower third or actually our slide last time, called the ARRL, the American Amateur Radio League. Well, that's not exactly right. I mean, that doesn't even spell ARRL, does it? (laughs) (laughs) It's actually the American Radio Relay League, and we appreciate it. I don't remember who it is that brought our attention to it. but Oh, someone did email? uh, Oh, someone did email. Otherwise, it probably would have slipped right past me. I mean, it had two letters that, two words start with the same letter, but just the wrong wrong two the wrong number of them yeah and we covered some questions from uh, sub element t1 of the technicians amateur radio exam we're going to cover some more uh, questions from the technicians exam tonight but we're going to skip around a little bit yeah kind of mix it up some you know um i had quite a few comments about refresher you know from some seasoned uh, well-seasoned hams like Mm -hmm. ourselves (laughs) Uh, um if you want to call it that. But anyway, uh, it's kind of neat to go back and look at some of those and, and have a refresher on it. It is. So. It is. It really is. And let's see. Oh, speaking of new hams, Tommy, there was some exciting news that came out this week. Um, you know, you kind of hear things like this every now and then, but 
I don't know, this may be a new record here. We've got a new ham, the uh, Centennial Colorado USA resident Colton Ragsdale passed his amateur radio technician exam, and he's just five years of age. And he's got his license now on Monday, January the 5th. Colton is five years, nine months old. Took an interest in radio at a young age, and there's no age limit ending or beginning for amateur radio. Absolutely. That, that is amazing. I'd love to see things like that. I've, I've never heard of anyone that young. I guess he's maybe the youngest. Yeah. Ever. And I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, I heard someone say that he did the test verbally uh, because at five years, you know, he probably could not yeah. read right. um, you know, a lot of the more complex questions there. And they gave him the test verbally, and, uh, man, he aced it. How many did they say passed the exam with a 91? Oh, that's great. He you missed go, Colton. three out of 35 questions. Um you know, you have to get 74% right, but he got 91%. You know, that's probably as, as good or better than we did back when we took oh, the technician. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, actually, actually, I think that's about what I did. I missed, a, I believe, three online. I don't remember how many I missed. It wasn't wasn't many, I'm sure. They didn't, didn't really tell me. But uh, anyway, yeah, congratulations, Colton. Did you save the scrolls? Did they give you the scroll that you took the test on? No, they <laughs> didn't. quite that far back? No, we just kind of <laughs> drew in the sand with a stick. <laughs> okay, so what have you been up to, Tommy? <laughs> uh, just giving you a rough time, <laughs> yeah. basically. Well, <laughs> to kind of do with uh, amateur radio and getting folks started, we, we had an activity last weekend. Yeah, we went to the Jackson Ham Fest, or Capital City Ham Fest, Cap- I guess the technical name for it. Yeah, here in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, Tommy and I are VEs, and we occasionally help out the uh, VE team there yeah. that, that gives tests. And I don't know how many. Did you count them? Uh, at one time, I counted 27 people there, but then there were a few others that came in. So they must have been in the low low 30s and and for the ham fest here that's a pretty good number uh, these days yeah it was it is we had uh quite a few ve's in there helping out yeah but uh it's a lot of fun to do that yeah and you know ve's volunteers examiners it's not hard to become a volunteer examiner and you guys who've been hams for a while you ought to think about it because you know somebody helped you get into this hobby and Hey, we need you to give a little bit back so that we can get more hams in here. Absolutely. Pass it on. It wasn't hard at all, and Mm -hmm. and it really is a lot of fun to go out there and help. And and when you see somebody, you know, that's passed that and how the excitement. Oh, yeah. They got their ticket. It it kind of reminds you of of when you did it. Yeah. yeah. I know I was a happy, happy fellow when I got mine. Oh, me too, And I saw quite a few people this past weekend with the same enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's great. You know, that's that's what it's all about. I mean, that can be as much fun as, what, working with the bounce or, or any other <laughs> hobby, you know, any other part of the hobby. You know, it's... Yeah, don't uh, do the moon bounce joke that you no. did before. No, we're, we're not going to go there. I'm saving that one up for something special. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we need more hams, but another thing we really need... Is more Elmers. We do need more Elmers. Take, take the time and and help your fellow ham. Uh, some of the new guys, you know, teach yeah. them about their SWR or or whatever problem yeah. they have. You know, it's 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 pretty rewarding to do that as well. Yeah, and, and you may be wondering what is an Elmer. Well, 
I looked it up for us, Tommy. All right. I've Wikipedia? got three different sources here. According to Wikipedia, Elmer is a given name that originates as a surname, a medieval variant of the given name Almer, a derivative of Old English Eiffel, and Mayer, which meant noble and famous. It was adopted as a given name in the United States in honor of the popularity of the brothers Ebenezer and Jonathan Elmer, leading supporters of the American Revolution. Interesting. But that's not really... I've never even heard of those fellows. Uh, me neither, but I wasn't around back then, you know, a little before my time. But still, they must have really been popular because uh, they had made it on Wikipedia there. Yeah. And people in the United States started using that name. I guess maybe before that, it really wasn't um, used that much. But that still wasn't quite the the answer I was looking for because I couldn't tie that to, to ham radio right. and, and what a Elmer is here. So I looked it up on Urban Dictionary, and I got another answer here. It says, a man with integrity and honor, deserving respect. And Elmer doesn't have to be a man. It could be a woman as well. Sure. Uh, Community-minded and love of family and friends. Loves to laugh and joke. Strong-minded and loyal, brave and humble. And it gave a couple of uh, examples here. That guy volunteers for everything. He's a real Elmer. And they gave another one. That guy is always laughing and playing jokes. He pulled a real Elmer. So I don't know that, that those exactly <laughs> sum up what an Elmer is, but it's getting closer. Yeah. Well, the the first uh, first example there is is kind of close. It is pretty close. And and then I I said that's not quite it. So I I looked up one more uh, definition of Elmer there, and this one came from the ARRL, the American Radio Relay uh, League. Not the AARL? <laughs> no, not not them or the AARP either. <laughs> it's the ARRL. And what they say, uh, the term Elmer means someone who provides personal guidance and assistance to would-be hams. And this first appeared in QST in March of 1991. It's, it's really, that term hadn't been around that long. Yeah. It, it was in the House DX column by Rod Newkirk, W9BRD, uh, now also VA3ZBB. So I guess maybe he's got a place in Canada, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Newkirk called them uh, the unsung fathers of ham radio. Uh, while he was probably not trying to coin a, a term at the time, he did. You know, oh, people boy, picked did up he. on that. Yeah, um... And here's how he described it in his column. Uh, And as it turned out, the rest of the radio uh, world picked up on it. It says, too frequently one hears a sad story in this little nutshell. Oh, I almost got a ticket, too. But my Elmer, W9XYZ, moved away and I kind of lost interest. Uh, Newkirk went on to say that we need those Elmers, all the Elmers, including the ham who took the most time and trouble to give you a push toward your license and uh, you know that's what we need is people helping out to get new people involved in amateur radio you know and keep and keep people in it yeah because how many people do you know that have gotten their ticket and they just kind of kind of faded away right yeah you know, that's that's a very important part of the hobby. And like we were saying earlier, when you were 
fresh in ham radio to you know the people who've been licensed a while. Somebody helped you, or or you wish someone had, because it would have would have really helped out. And, and it's a big part of the hobby. So do uh, volunteer, do Elmer others along, help them get started in the hobby because it's really, you know, that that's the lifeblood of it. Yeah, it it goes a long way. Yeah, there's a lot people of people never forget that either. A lot of satisfaction with it too, because you're you're helping others, and uh, you know how it is. You do something new, and you want all your friends to to be able to do it too. Right. You know, sort of like um, I don't know. You buy something, and you tell me about it, and I got to have one of them too. Yeah. You know how that a, works. Uh, yeah, I've seen that happen a couple of times. It has happened <laughs> a couple of times. So now, Professor Martin. I think it's time for a little bit of ham radio history. All right. What are we going to talk about tonight? Today we're going to stroll back as far as the late 1800s and talk about spark gap transmitters. Spark gaps. Man, that sounds like a lot of fun and dangerous, too. It could be dangerous. Yeah, fire and radio. I mean, great combination. Well, maybe not such a great... Not a great combination. No. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, tell us a little bit about it. Okay. Well, the simple definition of spark gap transmitter is that it's a device for generating radio frequency electromagnetic waves using a spark gap. And that's straight from Wikipedia, if you can't tell. Okay. So, anyway, history tells us that the spark gap transmitter was invented by several people. In 1862, James Clerk Maxwell predicted the propagation of electromagnetic waves through a vacuum with it. In 1878, David Hughes used a spark gap to generate radio signals. He achieved a range of about 500 meters. That is a pretty good range. It it is. I would say for nobody ever having broadcast before. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. It's impressive. In uh, 1888, Henrik Hertz. Henrik Hertz? Henrik Hertz? I'm probably not saying that right. Heinrich? Yeah set out to scientifically verify Maxwell's predictions. Hertz used a tuned spark gap transmitter and a tuned spark gap detector, which was built from a loop of wire connected to a small spark gap. It was only a few meters away. Hertz was able to verify the electromagnetic waves were being produced by the transmitter. When the transmitter sparked, small sparks also appeared across the receiver's gap. They were so small they had to be seen with a microscope. Wow. So, well, I, that's I pretty even small. Imagine. Yeah, these devices served as transmitters for most wireless telegraphy systems for the first three decades of radio, which is from 1887 to 1916. The first demonstrations of practical radio were carried out using them. In later years, some more efficient transmitters were developed based on rotary machines like the high-speed Alexanderson alternators and the static Poulsen arc generators but spark generators were still preferred by most operators. This was because of their uncomplicated design and because the carrier stopped when the telegraph key was released, which allowed the operator to listen through for a reply. Wow. This is a pulse and arc generator? Is that what that is? It is. It well, looks that is one big son of a gun, too. And it doesn't look like a transmitter to me. I mean, it looks more like a milking machine or something. I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah. That's, that's heavy duty, though. Right. And uh, it was saying, I read some more in the article. It's pretty interesting on Wikipedia. That's where most of this came from. But uh, anyway, you can go out there and look it up. But it says they were, uh, ships used it to signal back to shore. 
Well, it'd take a pretty good sized ship to just carry that bad boy well, around. It would, and, and look at all those. That looks like water pipes to me. I don't know, maybe they were running gas or something in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but uh, man, that is wow. It's, it's huge. I was kind of surprised when I saw the picture of it when I was doing the research. I don't even know what, what to think about that. That is just really unusual looking for radio equipment. Yeah, I'm glad we're not using those today. I'm not. I'm, I am too, yeah, because we don't really I don't think room. you can get one in here. No. Although it would make a nice uh, piece of eye candy behind us there. That's true. Yeah, as long as it didn't leak or hey, something. Hey, there's the wallpaper. There is the wallpaper, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to be back in just a minute with a little bit of more Ham College. But uh, first, this message. On the 15th of each month, AmateurLogic.tv with host George Thomas, Tommy Martin, and Peter Barrett. This looks a little crude, but roughly here's what I have. The bottom trace here is ground. While the elements will jiggle some, they're actually not too bad. It's light. After putting it together, I decided to test everything, so I ran in 12 volts, and I'm measuring the output here. No, it's not too windy right now, Jim. It was yesterday. Actually turn that into a scanner capable of tuning across a wide range of frequencies. Whoa, okay. What is this called? We're in the antenna switching matrix. Any one of our six broadcast transmitters could be connected to any of the 22 antennas via the switching matrix. Down in Melbourne, apparently they, they tune up their radios <laughs> different than we do, Tommy. Oh, yeah? Now, the FM 900 is tough. Seriously tough. We finally arrived. Man, we're in Ham Nirvana. Again. Boy, what what a great time. And... And as happened last year, we still haven't got all the way through the flea market yet. No, we've been hit about a fourth of it, but we're going to have to strike a trot. Well, the moment of truth has arrived. I've attached a BNC connector to the antenna terminals here. I've got plus 12 volt in ground uh, power coming in here. It's going to my uh, power supply. Uh, that I'm supplying it with 13.8 volts. And I personally am so thrilled that... George got the special award. Well deserved, my friend. That's really cool. Yeah, what about the Super Bowl, Emil? Did you go to the Super Bowl, or were you at home uh, operating that night? Tuning my amplifier, and oh, I lost power in the shack, and uh, went outside. The house lost power. <laughs> the whole neighborhood went out for about yeah. 30 minutes. I, I don't know what happened. Oh, huh. That explains a lot. All right, Tommy, sing the theme song here. You know, I still don't know the words after 10 years. After 10 years, I have never heard them either. Yeah. We're going to have to hire somebody to write write them, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I bet Mike's up for it. Uh, he probably he has. Well, I'm not sure we'd, we'd want to use them. <laughs> Maybe we get Ray to sing it. There you go. Well, this is a portion of the show that uh, we're going to call the Project Corner. Let's pick up where we were. All right. Last time around, Tommy, if you'll grab I'm that, dying to uh, see what we're going to build. Yeah, because you don't really know, do you? Nope. Let's pull all this stuff out in here and uh, see what we've got there. And this is from the pilot episode of Ham College, our telegraph set we talked about earlier. We've got our telegraph key right there. We've got our sounder. 
And we got a battery because it, it wouldn't do anything until we hooked it to a battery. So let's hook all of that up. Here's you one. Hang on just a minute. You better go yeah. warm. Yeah, we may need that. Okay. <laughs> we won't need that for a minute, but we may actually need it in a minute. So the way this thing works is, you know, we showed you last time. You just push down on the key here, and you'll get an action over here on what we call the sounder. Well, it's not working too good, is it? That's because there's a little bit too much gap in between there, and we we did have to do some adjustments on that last time to make it yep. fit. There we go. So that CW ought to be good for about thirty feet. I could hear it. Yeah, probably could. But it's just a click every time we hit the key there. Now, I think we can actually improve on that, Tommy. All right. And, and there'll be a little extra surprise with it, too. But wouldn't it be nice if, if that tone was a little bit long? Because here, mm -hmm. you know, it's a little hard to tell between um, a dot and a dash right. as to what exactly you're sending there. What if we made this into a buzzer? That would be nice. That would be nice, wouldn't it? First, though, let's take a look at what we've got right here, right now. And... Here's our schematic here. You can see our key on the left-hand side there, and then our little coil and our sounder and the battery. You hit the key, and it just pulls that little flopper down there on the coil and makes a racket. And would you believe we could make that into a buzzer with just two pieces of wire and a screw? No. We can. We can? We actually can. And I tell you what, why don't we do it? Show me. I just happen to have all the I tools. I lived in Missouri. Yeah. That was the show me state? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, here's here's all we're going to need right here. We're going to have to change a few things. We're not going to be able to leave it exactly like it is now. Okay. All right. So what we're going to have to do here is break the circuit. We want to make this thing vibrate. We won't need that yet. Uh, you sure? Yeah. Yeah. I'm we need to make it. this thing vibrate. I'm going to keep it right here, though. All right, so how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to turn this into a single-pole, single-throw relay Okay. of the normally closed variety. Because, you know, a relay is nothing but a coil and some contacts. No, it's going to make it chatter. We're going to make it chatter. And to do that, well, I guess the first thing we ought to do is take one of these wires loose here. Okay. All right, so we'll just take that one loose. Why don't we take these loose, too? Maybe just, get... yeah, take one of those loose. <laughs> you sure? I told you I need the fire extinguisher. <laughs> okay, so this wire right here did go to this side of the key. We're going to move it up here. We'll just put it under, you know, here's another piece of metal just like that one. We're going to put it up under this one. Okay, so we've just moved this one wire and put it under that piece of metal. And this is going to be what I would call the wiper on a relay. We're going to use this to make a contact to go on top of that wiper. Okay. All right. And we're going to put a piece of wire 
on here at the bottom of that so that we'll connect it back over here in just a moment but for right now tell you what why don't you help me with this I will hold this why don't you screw that into the uh, side of the key here well actually the side of the sounder They still hadn't invented electric screwdrivers by this point? No, no, not by this point. They did have copper wire, though. Well, I hope uh, they invent them by the next project. Yeah. This is actually a piece of just wire out of out of some Romax house wiring. Good and tight? Yeah, but I can't see if I got the wire under it. No, you didn't. <laughs> it's kind of hard to see. Let, yeah. let me hold the block of wood because it's kind of hard to okay. pull, the, pull the wire up. Yeah, they're probably having a trouble seeing this themselves. Well, that's what it looks like in that's all its glory. That's what it looks like. Yep. There. All right. So all we did is put a piece of wire over here that comes up on top of our our piece of metal is just touching the piece of metal right there and then we've got this red wire from the bottom of it I'll tell you what we'll put that back up under here so if you'll tighten that down okay and what if I told you we didn't just make a buzzer but we also just made a spark gap transmitter yeah, you can pull that out now. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. Yep. Uh, let's let's take a look at the schematic on this. And you can see we've modified it a little bit. We've got the key there in series with the battery. And then, you know, over on the right where it says spark gap, as I was saying, that's, that's just a, a single pole, single throw, normally closed relay. Mm -hmm. It's just like a switch. But when we energize that coil by pressing down the key, it's going to pull this right here away from that piece of metal because the magnet, the electromagnet's energized. All right, as soon as it pulls it down, the circuit's broke, so it's going to go back up. Circuit's going to be made, so it's going to go down again. Okay. So give us some power there, and let's, let's see how it works now. Let's turn it where our uh, viewers at home can maybe get a better look at it. Let me get, should I get 911 on the... You hear it's buzzer now. Yep. And I see the spark, too. You don't need a uh, magnifying glass or telescope or microscope or anything to see that, do you? I guess those fellows were doing it all wrong. Yep. Well, they used to... They used another one to receive it. Can we receive it on something? We can actually receive it on something, and, and that's what we're trying to prove here. I've got a radio. So let's just turn on this radio. You know, it's a shortwave radio, so Peter would be mighty proud of us. And it's a realistic one. It is a realistic one. I see you got Australia on there. I actually do. We're tuned to uh, 2.59 megahertz here. On this Radio Shack, what is this one? It's a DX398. 
Alright, so let's see if we can hear anything when we, uh, we fire off our spark gap transmitter. Oh yeah. Here, send, hit me there and we'll see if we can hear it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I oh yeah. It's, it's real evident. So. Well, and we don't. You know, we we haven't really extended out the antenna. But if we do that, we're gonna hear all the other noise that's in the room here. But maybe. That didn't really help. No. It's close enough. It's close enough. <laughs> so there you go. That, real, you know, real spark gap transmitters are. I believe they're illegal now. But I mean, this is just yeah. I mean, a little bit of noise. Yeah, here, if I took the radio to the other side of the room, actually, you wouldn't hear it right, anymore. Right, absolutely. But um, that's that's a basic spark gap transmitter. It's just a relay. You could do the same thing with just a store bought relay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just doing it with a homemade one because it makes a nice little blue flame there, and it's fun. It is fun. Yeah. Okay. And, and if the lights go out, you can. You could. I don't know why, but but you could. <laughs> but let's take a look at, at what kind of spark gap transmitters they were using at the time. You know, there were a lot of different ones around. But uh, here's one right here. Tommy, you gave us this, yeah, this picture. This is courtesy of Wikipedia as well. Well, I see we've got batteries just like we did on ours. Yep. And then I see we've got a telegraph key just like we did on ours. Yep, got an induction coil. And what that induction coil does is when we hit the key and it sends the voltage to it, the voltage on the other side of that induction coil is going to come out at a much higher magnitude, you know, a much higher voltage. Okay. Because it's working sort of like sort of like a transformer would. But it's an induction coil just like uh, like the coil on an old... In your car. On an old, old car. car. Yep. Or a lawnmower or whatever. And above that, we've got the spark gaps. Which on ours, you know, this was our spark gap right here. Mm-hmm. That's where we saw the sparks. They took it an extra step there. You see that tuning coil there and those Linden jars? I'm not sure why the Linden jars are there. Um, maybe they're acting as a capacitor. But th- they're basically making a tuned circuit there. Mm-hmm. And you can see they got one side of that coil to ground. The other side goes to an aerial, which yeah, an is what Peter calls it. Yeah, we call it antennas. Basically, they're tuning that spark. To, trying to tune it to a particular frequency. And that's why they have those extra components there. Now, we could have actually, you know, put an inductor and a capacitor and all of that and then strung a piece of wire on this one and kind of tuned it to a, a frequency, and it would have got out a little further. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that's that's what a, uh, a spark gap transmitter is. And like, like we've said, you know, there's a lot of different designs for them. That was just a, a very basic early one there, and this is really a, a crude one here. But, you know, anything that's making a spark, you're probably going to hear it on a radio on the, the lower frequency bands. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it uh, works uh, similar to the uh, the ultrasonic dish I did on Amateur Logic a few months back when we yeah. when we made a spark with and, the file in this same battery. And this is really what we should have had when we did that. I would have saved yeah, my you file. you wouldn't have had to go get another $12 file. Yeah. <laughs> so there's our homemade project for this time around a cheap buzzer that's also a spark gap transmitter well that was kind of fun 
That was kind of fun. And we didn't even have to use this. We didn't need that at all, did we? Well, let's get on now uh, to maybe, the next thing. Maybe next month. Yeah. I think maybe it's time to get on down to that question pool here. Okay. But before we do that, let's have one more message from one of the people who helps make the program possible here. Without these folks, we'd have a difficult time putting this together for you every month. From new models to classic radios, there's something for everyone this season. So get out or hunker down with ICOM. Celebrate ICOM's 50th year with the IC7850. Only 150 units are available, and each radio features 1.2 kilohertz optimized roofing filter, a new local oscillator design with improved phase noise, several spectrum scope enhancements, and distinct gold accents on the front panel and commemorative label. For contesters just starting out this year, ICOM's IC7600. You get advanced DSP technology and IF roofing filters, dual watch on the same band on an ultra-wide 5.8-inch display. Got cabin fever and need to get away? Get mobile with ICOM's IC2730A and ID5100A. The analog 2730A mobile and digital 5100A with built-in GPS. Both feature optional Bluetooth capability for hands-free operation, 50 watts output power on both VHF and UHF, and a large backlit screen. For entry-level D-Star operation, take the ID888H on the road. Features include a good menu structure and VHF-UHF dual-band functionality, one band at a time. To hunker down or get out, the ID51A Plus is a perfect radio to enjoy global communications. This dual bander has the free downloadable RSMS1A Android app, enhanced DV functionality, and additional D-plus reflector link commands. Make sure you visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM's base stations, mobiles, and portables. And you know, Tommy, I just got a word in today from Ray. The retail prices on a couple of those models there are going down. Hey, that's always good news. That ID51A, uh, that D-Star Handy Talkie that you've got, yeah, that I want, yeah. is down to $399 now, list price. You might find it cheaper at, at a dealer, but that's the new list price. I don't recall what it was before, but I believe yeah. that's a pretty good yeah, drop. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good drop. That's, yeah. that's a good deal. And then your your mobile rig there, the ID fifty one hundred A, the new list price on it is down to five ninety nine. Oh wow! And that starts on February the first, which is just a couple of days from now. Yeah, that's pretty from, awesome. Yeah, from there when we're go. recording this. So yeah, check out those uh, great Icom rigs. You know, really, I want one of both of those. Yeah. I mean, I've got radios, but yeah, you got I, a few over there. I kind of want that ID fifty one. That is a super nice handheld. It's so small. And yeah. it's, it does everything under the sun. Yeah, you know, our, our friend Wayne bought one at the Jackson Ham Fest this past weekend. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I talked with him the other night. Yeah. And uh, so he's actually on there using it now. Awesome. Well, let's get on into our question poll now, okay. which is, you know, one of the things we do here on the program. But first, I want to talk about uh, why you should get licensed. You know, before you can get on the air as an amateur radio operator... You need to be licensed, and you need to know the rules to operate legally. Uh, in the U.S., licenses are good for 10 years before renewal, and anybody can hold one except a representative of a foreign government. And I think maybe there are some other stipulations in there, too, like certain convicted felons and things maybe yeah. cannot hold them. But um, in the U.S., the FCC offers three amateur radio license grades, and their technician class license general class license, and an extra class license. 
And according to the FCC rules 97.523, there can be only one question pool for each license examination level. Did you know that? Only one question pool per license class? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And each pool must contain at least 10 times the number of questions required for a single examination. That I didn't know. Yeah. So that means, yeah, one in 10 but, chance. But I guess that makes sense. I never really thought about it. But it, yeah, yeah, I never counted them, but yeah, yeah, that does make sense. And the question pools are normally valid for four years, and I believe in 2014 we just started the current technician pool. So... Um, the exam requirements for technician, you got 35 questions on there. And and this is called element two mm-hmm. of the, the amateur radio uh, elements for licensing. Right. Uh, your privileges are all VHF and UHF amateur bands above 30 megahertz. And you got some limited operation uh, privileges on some of the HF bands as well. Yeah, this is just a light, uh, slight sliver of spectrum there that yep. you can use. But, uh, y- you know, actually... If you can work CW with that entry-level technician's license, you can um, work CW on 80, 40, and 15 meters, and on uh, uh, 10 meters. There you go. That's good enough reason right there to learn it. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, they they did kind of remove the, uh, the requirement of having uh, Morse code for the license, the modern licenses now. But it's still just as popular as ever. Tons yeah, and tons of people. I, out I heard people it. saying, "Yeah, it's it's having a comeback right mm-hmm. now." You can download the question pool yourself from arrl.org/question-pools, and they've got it there for the technician, the general, and the extra classes. If you're studying for your exam, you want to make sure that you're studying the pool that's current for the time that you'll be taking your test. Right. And the the question pools you'll locate there will have the actual dates on them as to, uh, you know, what dates are covered. That is, that is critical because actually at the Hamfest this past week, this past weekend, I believe we had one fellow that actually studied the wrong. Oh wow! The wrong set. Do you remember if he passed? He didn't. He did not pass. Oh boy, that was a tough break there, yeah. man. Wow. Well, let's get on into a few of these questions here. Here's the first one, Tommy. Which of the following is a permissible use of the amateur radio service? And what have we got for answers there? We've got A, broadcasting music and video to friends. Or B, providing a way for amateur radio operators to earn additional income by using their stations to pass messages. C, providing low-cost communications for startup businesses. And D, allowing a person to conduct radio experiments and communicate with other licensed hams around the world. Well, I bet you're going to probably get this one right, but tell me, what do you think the answer is? Well, I'm going to say I know that it's D. It is D. Now, let's just cover some of the wrong ones there first. You can't broadcast music and video to friends on ham radio. No. I mean, that's that's not what it's about. You can broadcast video, though. I mean, we have amateur radio television. We've got slow scan television. We've got fast scan as well. But but you can't broadcast music. You can't have music on it. It's got to be music-free. Uh, B there. Tell us about that one, Tommy. Providing a way for amateur radio operators to earn additional income, that's the red flag right there because yep. you you cannot make profit on 
on the air on amateur radio yeah. of any kind. Yeah, not not for no, on air. No business uh, purposes. Yeah. Uh, C provide low cost communications for startup businesses. No, well, because that gets into money again. Well, there's the buzzword right there at the end: businesses. Yeah. So D, allowing a person to conduct radio experiments and to communicate with other licensees around the world. Yeah, that's got to be the answer. That's got to be the answer. It's pretty easy to to get that one correct there. If you just think about no money and no music, yeah, you know, that'll key in. Well, let's go on to the next one here. Okay. For which license classes are new licenses currently available from the FCC? What's our We've got A, A, novice technician, general, and advanced. Or B, technicians, technician plus, general, uh, or advanced. C, novice, technician plus, general, or advanced. And D, technician, general, and amateur extra. I'll I'll take this one. Okay. Since you took the last one. (laughs) You, You actually just told us this about five minutes ago. I think I probably did, in the, yeah. In the uh, kind of the preamble of starting this, but go ahead. You must have been paying attention. Always. D, technicians, general, and amateur extras. I know I hit the button there before I actually said D, but I was going to say D whether I hit that button or not. Yeah. You know, <laughs> let's let's go back and, and look at the wrong ones there. A, novices, technicians, general, and advanced. All those were amateur radio class, uh, classes at one point. Yeah, they were. Novice was the entry level years ago. Uh, I'm not sure what year they, they dropped Novice uh, from the It's been exams. quite some time. It's been some time. Technician, of course, that's still a valid one. General is still a valid one. Advanced was once upon a time uh, amateur radio license class two. That was between a general and an extra. You had advanced right. there in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got a few friends that actually have that class. Yeah, and won't upgrade because you they can't think get they got it something special. It's like yeah. it's a collector item. Yep, you hear that, Wayne? You know we're going <laughs> to twist your arm and get you to upgrade one day. Because I mean, why not? You're almost there anyway. You can keep the ticket and prove you had it. Yeah, and go and get the rest of the privileges. But if you had that novice license or you had that advanced license and they're still valid, you can still use them. I mean, oh, absolutely. No, no problem there. You, you're kind of grandfathered in. And C, novice, technician plus, general, and advanced. Well, as we said, novice is, is no longer a, a class that they're testing for. What's technician plus? Technician plus was a technician who also passed a Morse code exam. Right. And I'm not sure what year that uh, went away, but I, I knew a few tech pluses. Well, when they introduced the technician class, if you had the five words Mm-hmm. But a minute also, you could you had got moved yep. up to a technician because used to when you had to uh, take a code exam, you would take a written exam and a code exam. Mm-hmm. All right, if and you'd start out at novice, and if you had passed that written novice exam and the code, you could upgrade uh, to a technician by just taking a written test, and you could bring that code, you know, um, credit that you already had, and you'd be a technician plus. Right. So uh, that one's pretty easy there. Yep. Just remember, a technician, a general, and an extra. Yeah, so we only have three classes now. Yep. So next question. How soon after passing the examination for your first amateur radio license 
May you operate a transmitter on an amateur radio service frequency. A, immediately. B, 30 days after the test date. C, as soon as your operator or station license grant appears in the FCC's license database. Or D, you must wait until you receive your license in the mail from the FCC. Is this my turn? It's your turn. It's my turn. I'm going to say C. And you would be correct. Boom. <laughs> so it's almost like I've told people that before. Yeah. As soon as your operator station license grant appears in the FCC's license database. You know, there, there's several things here that have happened just this week related to this very question that are probably not in the question pools yet because they're so new. Yeah. But... Um, here, well, let's let's first talk about uh, the other answers there. A, immediately. No, you can't go take a test and immediately start using the amateur radio frequencies uh, transmitting. You wouldn't have a call sign. You wouldn't have a call sign. If you sign. don't have a call sign, then you're definitely illegal. Yeah, you're definitely illegal. But, and this is probably in a later question somewhere down the road, if you already had a call sign, say you were a technician, and you went and took a test and you upgraded to general, you could start using your general privileges right then, couldn't you? Yes. What would you have to do? You would have to identify yourself, uh, I believe it's uh, stroke AG. Or stroke AE for AE. extra. Right. Yeah, until your, your license appears in the uh, FCC database. Uh, B here was 30 days after the test date. Well, no, not really. If it had appeared in the FCC database 30 days chan- after. Chances yeah. are you'll have it before 30 you, you, days. It takes about a week and a half now. Depending, yeah. on, depending on actually what organization you took yeah. your test. And if the uh, VEs that you took your exam with are using electronic filing, it could be 48 hours mm-hmm. and, and you'll be in the database. Of course, C was the answer. D, you must wait until you receive your license in the mail from the FCC. And, you know, I think maybe a long time ago that might have been the case. Well, I know it was. That's how it was when I got mine. When we got our technicians, it was that way years ago. I remember remember that day like it was yesterday. Yep. You had to wait till it came in the mail. Well, just this week, the FCC announced that they're not going to be printing licenses anymore. Oh, yeah. Going to be able to print your own. Yeah. Under certain circumstances. No, you have to take the test still. But, (laughs) you know, under certain circumstances... (laughs) The, the FCC will still print a license and mail it to, um, you know, someone who passed an exam. But in most cases, if they've got an email address on file for you and all that when you took your exam, then um, you're going to be sent an email, and there'll be a link in there where you can click and go download and print your license. Yeah, I, I, I understand why they're doing that, but I'm not sure I like it. Yeah, well, they say they're going to save over $300,000 a year, but, you know, I, I mean, you and I could contract that out for, for what, 200000 a year and save yeah. them some money. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. But anyway, it's that's... It's going to be on plain white paper. On plain white like paper, this, if they it? print it out. I think you can request a printed copy, maybe, and they'll, they'll print it as well. But anyway, that's brand new, so we may not have got all the details exactly right, but... The um, times are changing. Times are changing. All right, well, let's go on to the next one here, Tommy, and 
Why don't you take this one? What's the normal term for an FCC-issued primary station slash operator amateur radio license grant? And it's A, five years. B, life. C, 10 years. D, 20 years. Well, let's see. Who had the last question? That was you, wasn't it? Yep. I'm going to say that it's C, 10 years. And let's see. I'm right. Give it up. Hang on a minute. I'm going to check it. You're going to see if it's 10 years. Actually, I know it's 10 years. You actually have a printed copy of your license. Yeah, that's what you can't get anymore. Yeah, and it's not plain white paper either. Nope. No. Well, uh, what can we say about this one? I mean, on the questions that are wrong, or the answers that are wrong, they're just wrong. It's 10 it's years. It's just flat out just 10 years, so you're just going to have to remember that. It's not any way to reason that one out. No, it's just 10 years. Next question. What is the grace period following the expiration of an amateur license within which the license may be renewed? A, two years. B, three years. C, five years. And D, ten years. So what's your answer? And this is my turn, and I'm thinking it's A, two years. Well, let's see. You're right. Yeah, this one I wasn't quite sure if it was two or three. Yeah, it's it's two years, and I remember that because I had a couple of buddies, our Elmers. Yeah. Uh, our main two Elmers. They don't let, have their license anymore? Yep, they let them go over two years, yeah. and uh, they they lost their call sign. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, yeah, you want to be sure and renew those licenses. Even if you're currently not active, renew your license. Yeah, this it's no sense in letting it lapse. You yeah. I mean, it doesn't cost anything to renew it, and, and you you one day you'll come back around and see the light. Yep, yeah, it happens a lot, and... Um, also, be sure that if you move or your mailing address changes, you want to be positive that you send that new mailing address to the FCC and keep it there because otherwise you're not going to be notified when that license expires and you're not going to know that, hey, it's up and it's time to renew. Yeah, plus that's a condition of your license anyway. Well, that, it is. That stays current. It is. So, uh, yeah, by all means, you know, don't let your license expire. Um Hey, you got two years there if it's already expired. I tell you what, guys, go check your licenses right now. You who are already licensed that it could possibly be 10 years. At the end of the show. At the end of the show, of course. <laughs> yeah. All right, next question here. If your license has expired and is still within the allowable grace period, may you continue to operate a transmitter on amateur service frequencies? And the answers are A, no transmitting is not allowed until the FCC license database shows that the license has been renewed. B, yes, but only if you identify using the suffix GP. C, yes, but only during authorized nets. And D, yes, for up to two years. All right, it's my turn. Yep. I am going to say it's got to be A. I would concur. And I'm right. You are right. No transmitting is allowed until the FCC license database shows that the license has been renewed. Right. You've got a two-year grace period after it expires that you can renew that license without having to take another exam, and you'll get to keep the call sign you've currently got. But uh, 
No, you can't transmit after that. You don't have a license. Yeah, most importantly, you don't have to go through taking all the tests again to get back up to your current class. Yeah. So the but answer, yeah. The real answer is is don't let yourself get in that position. Yeah. And if you do, don't transmit. So uh, the, the answer B, but only if you identify using the suffix GP. I've never heard of the I've suffix I've never heard GP. of that. That's just one of those off-the-wall answers there. C, yes, but only during authorized nets. No. Well, what would that have to do with anything? You know, nothing. nothing. Nothing at all. And D, yes, for up to two years. No, you can renew for yeah, up to two that, years, that's your but you can't period. transmit. Right. All right, so let's move on to the next one here. When is an amateur station required to transmit its assigned call sign? A, at the beginning of each contact and every 10 minutes thereafter. B, at least once during each transmission. C, at least every 15 minutes during and at the end of a communication. And D, at least every 10 minutes during and at the end of a communication. I'm going to go with A. At the beginning of each contact. And every 10 minutes thereafter. Every 10 minutes thereafter. Well, let's Mm -hmm. just see. Nope. At least every 10 minutes during. We needed to keep that buzzer up. Yeah, I know. I should shock myself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. At least every 10 minutes during and at the end of a communication. You know, that's a tricky one. Yeah. It is a little bit tricky because uh, you you ID at the beginning as well. But it's not required. Did you know that? I didn't. I didn't really know that until I was looking through Gordo's materials earlier today. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But See, no, I would have missed that one. You're not required to transmit your call sign when you began talking. Now, I know it seems I'm, like you I'm are over required. I'm ID. I am, too. But that's but okay. It's actually a good idea, too. Mm-hmm. It's a very good idea, but... But, yeah, um, every 10 minutes uh, during a conversation and at the end of it, um, you know, you need to transmit. Uh, So, A, let's look at it again. At the beginning of each contact and every 10 minutes thereafter. But let's also look at D. At least every 10 minutes during and at the end of a communication. That's that's kind of a tricky one there. It, It is, and I know you have to do it at the end. So that should well. have told you so, that yeah, at the beginning it wouldn't just, work. I, yeah, I just made a bad pick there. Yeah, because A did not have at the end in it. There you go. Yeah, and B at least once during each transmission. Well, this is kind of uh, tricky right here, too. A transmission, now to me, and I'm hoping that's the same way in the FCC rules here, if I pick up the mic and talk and then let off the button, that was one transmission. Mm-hmm. All right. But if I do that a bunch of times and then I I quit, that whole thing was a communication. Mm -hmm. I believe that's the way they're trying to identify here. So uh, if it was B at least once during each transmission, um, that would be a lot of ID. And and there are guys that talk that way. They'll say their call sign and who they're talking to, or actually they'll say the person they're talking to, followed by their own call sign at the beginning and end of every transmission. And you'll usually hear that in the AM portions of the band. Those The AM operators still do that a lot. But it's not required to, to send your call sign every single transmission. 
That's kind of a that's kind of it is a tricky one because when you answer, if somebody calls you, you when you make a call for someone, you call use their call and your call, and then when you respond, you respond with your call. Yeah, to identify that you're the one that's answering. Yeah, and that that's uh, but it's not required. But here, let's just I mean for the benefit of of those new to the hobby or, or those studying, let's just show them how it would typically be done. If you were going to call me, what would you say? W5JDX is M5ZNO. All right. So you say my call sign first, the person who you're calling, followed by your own call my sign. Own. And then I would answer you, uh, hi, Tommy, this is W5JDX. Or I could just say W5JDX. It's right. not required, but, I mean, it, it's a good idea to do that. Yeah, Absolutely. So, I guess that's just etiquette or protocol. Yeah, but anytime you're saying uh, the person you're speaking with and your own call sign, the other person's call sign is first. Right. All right. So uh, I don't know that we can say a lot more about that. At least every 15 minutes uh, during and at the end of the communications for an answer C. No, it's every yeah, it's 10, 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Every 10 minutes. When may an amateur station transmit without identifying? It's A, when the transmissions are of a brief nature to make station adjustments. B, when the transmissions are unmodulated. C, when the transmitted power level is below one watt. Or D, when transmitting signals to control a model craft. So, let's see, this is mine, isn't it? It is. I, you know, to me... Say, t- say D. Uh, let, me, let me just go through them here. <laughs> a... When the transmission of a brief nature uh, to make station adjustments, no, you still have to ID even if you're only making adjustments. Uh, B, when the transmissions are unmodulated, well, I'm not, you know, That's just a carrier. it's still a transmission. It's a carrier. Mm-hmm. If it's unmodulated, there is no ID, but there there should be. So you shouldn't be making unmodulated transmissions uh, without yeah. ID. Yeah. Um, C, when the transmitted power level is below one watt, you know, that almost seems reasonable there. But I'm going to go with D, when transmitting signals to control a model craft. Good choice. You think that's it? I think that's it. Well, let's find out. That is it. Wow. Wow. So if you if you got a model airplane and you're controlling it on amateur radio frequency, you don't have to ID it uh, when you, every 10 minutes when you transmit but I do believe that you need to have your call sign affixed to that transmitter yeah. that you're using. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Although, so, so um, that's yeah, that that's just one you're going to have to remember there uh, for model crafts. Yeah, uh, no identification there because most of those pieces of gear couldn't couldn't transmit an ID. I guess, but below one watt, no, that doesn't get you off the hook. No, you're still Mm -hmm. on. All right, next question. What is required in place of on-air station identification when sending signals to a radio-controlled model using amateur frequencies? And I think I spoke too quick in my last answers. Uh Uh-oh. So what are our choices? A, voice identification must be transmitted every 10 minutes. Or B, Morse code ID must be sent once per hour. C, a label indicating the licensee's name, call sign, and address must be affixed to the transmitter. 
Or D, a flag must be affixed to the transmitting antenna with a station call sign in one-inch high letters or larger. That would be a big flag. Yeah, it would be. So uh, it's your turn. What do you say? Well, I'm somebody. I've have I've the sneaky suspicion that it could be C. You think? It does seem kind of familiar, doesn't yeah. it? Let's let's see. Wow. And it is C. It's almost like I just heard it. Yeah, it is. Boy, you're really observant tonight. Yeah, I'm yeah. on it. So, A, voice identification must be transmitted every 10 minutes. Well, you know, like we were saying, most of those uh, model control transmitter units, they, they don't do voice. Yeah, I don't have a microphone on mine. Yeah, so so you can pretty much know that that's not going to be an answer because otherwise they'd have microphones on the side of those things. Yeah, and I don't know Morse code, so B can't be it. Well, since you don't have to know Morse code anymore, I guess you could look at it that way. Yeah. And at once per hour would be wrong, too. Yep. Because if they were going to require it, it would be every 10 minutes. Uh, of course, it is C. A D, a flag must be affixed to a transmitting antenna with a station call sign in one-inch high letters or larger. That's just one of those kind of crazy answers they throw in there yeah, every now and then. Some of the transmitters don't even have an antenna on the outside. It's yeah. internal and... Yeah. So I think we aced that one, Tommy. All right. Way to go, man. All right. One more here. What is the maximum power allowed when transmitting telecommand signals to radio-controlled models? Oh. A, 500 milliwatts. B, 1 watt. C, 25 watts. D, 1500 watts. And it's my turn. I'm going to say it's 500 milliwatts. 500 milliwatts. Let's see, because I do not know the answer to this one. Oh, oh one watt. You know what? I said 500 milliwatts because that's actually what mine is. Really? You could double your power, man. Yep. Yep. Boy, it would be nice, 1,500 watts, so you could do some, some serious damage with that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even know where it went. No. <laughs> and, and neither would anybody else within many miles of, yeah. of where you were would know where theirs went. So... A, 500 milliwatts, that kind of sounds reasonable. Yeah. But it's actually B, 1 watt. Yeah. 25 watts, that's, that's that still a lot. That seems a little high, yeah. And and D, yeah, as amateurs, uh, on a lot of bands, we can transmit up to 1,500 watts, but but no, not with a radio control transmitter. Yeah. You know, those things are actually, it's like anything. You put a good antenna on it, 500 milliwatts, some people go, you know, couple of miles with a high gain antenna with that thing yeah and that is the end of our questions all right um, didn't hurt much that didn't hurt much that was 10 of them i think we got most of them right yeah we yeah. did and uh and the ones that we didn't get right were kind of tricky could sort of see how it could almost been either way yeah now let's um let's just tell the truth here on ham college there's only going to be one episode per month yep that is the truth so we're only covering 10 questions per episode right all right and we read earlier that there's got to be 10 times as many questions uh available in the pool as are actually going to be on the exam yep and then there have to be 35 yep right so no, that means there, to, there are 35 on the test. 
Yeah. So that means we, we presented 10 questions today. Uh, if you just follow the normal odds, only one of those would be on your exam. Mm-hmm. So that means if you're studying with us once a month to, to get your amateur license, it's going to take you a long time because we're only covering 10 per show so that we can cover other interesting stuff, too, that you'll want to know. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to want to do some uh, study in addition to, oh, you, to, to what we're doing here. And, and we recommend you do, for yeah. sure. Otherwise, it's going to take you forever to, to get your ticket and get on the air so we can talk to you. Yeah. Our, our main purpose here is to get you interested and give you some samples and give you some discussion of them, too. But we do you know, I highly recommend that you get some other resources to study as well so you can go ahead and get your license in a reasonable amount of time. And uh, uh, there are a lot of resources out there. One that is a good one online is hamstudy.org. Mm-hmm. But there's another one. Tommy, this guy is a good friend of ours, and he is known worldwide Yeah, by ham radio operators, well, particularly in the U.S., but worldwide as well. Gordon West, WB6NOA, a good friend. You know, we're on uh, Ham Nation with Gordon every week. Oh, uh, yeah. Great teacher. Meet him at a lot of different uh, ham events. This, without a doubt, is the best technician study guide available ever. My son used this himself, and, and he just commented about how good it was when he was studying. And Gordo just sent us this yesterday. It's the first time I had looked at it. I'd known it was good going by what my son said, but mm-hmm. I looked through here, man, and, and look at there's all these pictures in here along with it, color diagrams, just a lot of extra information. Uh, every every question in here, he's got a detailed description of of why, you know, right. what they're talking about there and gives you really more information than you you actually needed to pass it, but he's giving you some good information to go along with it. And it also comes with a uh, audio CD here that has, uh, I assume it's the questions and answers. No, it's a little more than that. Welcome to Ham Radio, 6 Meter Skyway, Excitement's Waiting for You, Talk to the Astronauts. He's got a lot of different uh, topics on here of interest, you know, to, to people studying for their technician license. But... This yeah. this is my recommendation. If you're going to study for your technician, you can't you can't beat that one. I've got several friends I work with. I've actually kind of turned on to ham radio and recommended that same yeah. book, and they both really and, like it. And you saw me slip that slide on there a while ago. W5yi.org. That's where you can get these books. That's who is Gordon's publisher. Mm-hmm. Also, he works with Eric Nichols KL7AJ on here as well. You know, uh, Eric. Uh-huh. has contributed some to the book as well. So uh, they've just done a fantastic job. And, and this is a technician class. They also have the general class and the extra class as well. Um, so highly recommended. You know, you don't have to have it to study and pass your exam, but if you if you study with this, you're going to know some stuff once you do get licensed. Yeah, it's going it, to make you a better hand. It's not just the bare minimum. We appreciate you all being here tonight for the official episode one of Ham College. We're going to be back at the end of next month, which will be, uh, I don't know, February, whatever the end of the... 28th-ish. 28th-ish, whenever the weekend is at the end of the month. 
that's when we'll be doing this again. In the meantime, uh, visit us over at uh, amateurlogic.tv. Uh, also, hamcollege.tv. We're getting that website started up. Uh, let's see. Uh, we've got social media places where you can interact with us throughout the month. Yep. And that's uh, we've got a Facebook uh, group. That's at facebook.com slash group slash amateurlogic.tv. We've also got a ham college we also have a Facebook half college group. where it's not very active yet. And I'm, you know, I'm really kind of debating myself how active we want it to be because that's a bunch of different groups for us to visit and uh, uh, operate. So I'm still, right now, I'm mostly checking the amateur logic group. We accept uh, ham college, you know, comments you know, on either added, one of them. I've added several people to the ham college group recently that have yeah. asked to join, so. And we've also got our Google Plus community. And you can follow us on Twitter. Absolutely, at Amateur Logic. And did you make a Ham College Twitter account? I actually did. Do you yeah. follow it? I don't. Do no. you lo- check it? I don't okay. think I've even logged at into Amateur it. Logic. At Amateur Logic. At Ham College. <laughs> I know, but I'm yeah. just saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right now, you get your best information from Amateur Logic because we're still getting the. We have college things yeah. up and running. Uh, so I uh, appreciate you being here. In the meantime, you know, get to studying. Yeah, yeah, get your get your study guide, and, and if we could help answer any questions, you know, feel free to bounce it off of us, bounce things off people in the Facebook group. It's a lot of friendly people there, the Google Plus group as well. Yeah, and, you know, for those of you who are already licensed, Get out there and ham it up. You know, there's yeah. a lot of digital Elmers now. Digital Elmers? You yeah. mean like online? Yeah. Really? Yeah, man. The whole Facebook group and oh, the yeah. whole Google yeah. Plus group. Oh, yeah. I'm sure yeah. every one of those guys and, and women in there would be glad to help. Well, you see a lot of Elmer going on on there all the time, you know. It's yeah. um, just kind of part of it, and mm-hmm. we appreciate it because, you know, Tommy and I don't know the answer to everything. No, Almost, we just but, play like we do on quite, TV. Yeah. <laughs> but no, really, we, we've got some great communities there, and um, you know, we'd encourage you to join them, and, and you'll be uh, meeting up with a lot of great people there who can help you along the way. So any uh, final thoughts there before we close out, Tommy? No, just thanks for joining us, and I'm glad we didn't have to use the fire extinguisher. I am too, yep. So. And I'll say 73, and we'll see you at the end of February for the next episode. In the meantime, join us for the next Amateur Logic. That's going to be in the middle of the month, and we'll be posting that around as well, so um, you'll know the date. 73. So up to that. 73. Another thing we really need is more Elmers. You know, there's, um, I kind of lost my place here because I think I got my papers out of order. (laughs)
You can go to ARRL.org. <laughs> wow. Let me try to say that again. A, five years. C, life. <laughs> no, B, life. The question pools, you can download those yourself by... <laughs> <laughs> Here we go.